so on this day, this Father's Day, um, you know, I'm, I'm just in the midst of this season, getting ready for a child to come. And, uh, you know, he'll be here. Well, his due date's July 1st. Um, he might come sooner. That's what Amy's prayer is. But he could come later. Uh, you never know. And, and we're in this season and we're processing through things. And there's a lot of other things in our lives that are happening. And God's been speaking some things to me in particular and, and things that me and Amy, my wife, are, are learning to, to look at and keep out front. And one of those things is this phrase. This is a phrase that means a lot to me. Um, and I wonder if it, if it won't mean something to some of you today. But this is it. Don't miss it. Don't miss it. I'm, I'm in the you know, middle of so many things and I'm challenged to not miss what God is doing in my life and, and through me and the people around me. So today we're in our series called The Unknowns and uh, you know, our, our, uh, all three campuses are still doing unknowns. We're in the fifth uh, installment. Pastor Jordan is in Long Beach. Pastor Micah is in Wiggins. And uh, you know, that's just a great reminder of the fact that we're one church with many locations. I don't know if you noticed, but we had uh, Morgan Peters was actually leading worship up here just a moment ago. Wasn't she phenomenal? Yeah, she's one of our, our worship leaders here at the church, and she does a great job. So I uh, just want to remind you that that is who we are. So uh, all at the same time that I'm here sharing with you this message, there's those other messages being shared, and you can always go to Northwood.tv and check them all out if you miss any of them. But my message today for you out of the unknowns is about a man named Gideon. And uh, maybe some of you have heard of Gideon before. Maybe you grew up in church and, and Gideon's familiar to you. But I want to share a perspective of Gideon that might be a little bit more unknown to some of you. And I want to pick up in Judges chapter 2. And in Judges chapter 2, what we see is Joshua. <clears throat> Joshua was a man who was called by God to lead Israel into the promised land across the Jordan River through many trials and adversities, yet through many victories and successes, uh, Joshua had effectively gotten Israel uh, into the promised land. And at the end of his tenure of leadership, they were at his, you know, retirement ceremony, if you will, and Joshua gathers everybody and he says, listen, listen, I want to tell you something. He's banging his glass. I, I want to, it's not a toast though, but it's, it's more of a, an admonishment, if you will. He's challenging Israel to consider some things. And he says, listen, we've been through this and I got to say, we're in a great place right now. We've, we, we're in God's grace. We're in the promised land. God, God is doing great things, but I've seen some ups and downs, some trends in this nation's, uh, you know, history. And he said, I want to challenge you not to go back and serve these other gods. I want you to consider that the most important thing to do for you moving forward as I you know, retire is to keep your heart set on serving the Lord God of Israel. And he says, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord for all the days of our lives. And in Judges chapter 2, he said, it says this, after that, another generation grew up who knew neither the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. Then the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord and served the Baals. The Baals are gods of money, gods of sexuality, uh, even gods of creation. Maybe you've heard the term sun god. And Israel had, had a habit of turning away from the God of Israel and worshiping these other gods. And there was 190 years 
from the time that Joshua retired and passed away uh, to the time where our man Gideon comes on the scene. And through that time, it was just ups and downs and ups and downs. And we're going to pick up the story in chapter six. It says this, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. They're back at it again. And for seven years, he, that's God, gave them into the hands of the Midianites. That's the enemy. Because the enemy was so oppressive, the Israelites prepared shelters for themselves in mountain clefts, caves, and strongholds. Whenever the Israelites planted their crops, the Midianites, Amalekites, and other eastern peoples invaded the country. They camped on the land and ruined the crops all the way to Gaza and did not spare a living thing for Israel, neither sheep nor cattle nor donkeys. They, the enemy, came up with their livestock and their tents like swarms of locusts. It was impossible to count them or their camels. They invaded the land to ravage it. Midian so impoverished the Israelites that they, Israel, cried out to the Lord for help. And we see the pattern that Joshua warned against. We see the pattern that has been uh, typical of, of the human condition since the garden. We see it being repeated here again. And that pattern looks like this. It's rebellion in the heart first, in the, in the heart of man, rebellion from God. They're resisting the things of God. They're resisting giving worship to God. Then we see a response from God, and in this particular circumstance, God's response was that he removed his hand of covering. He removed his blessing at that moment from the nation of Israel, and Israel was left totally vulnerable, totally exposed. So we see a ravaged and wrecked and impoverished nation with people hiding in mountain clefts and caves and behind rocks and they're isolated from one another and they're isolated from God. And then, fortunately, we see Israel do what? They cry out to the Lord for help. This is repentance. This is where they turn from their evil ways and they turn from their own pursuits and they turn back towards God. And, and we see that God uses this repentance that's coming from Israel. This was a, a line of demarcation, a line in the sand where he said, hey, we're going to turn this thing around and begin reconnecting the hearts of Israel with God. So in verse seven, it says, when the Israelites cried out to the Lord because of Midian, he sent them a prophet who said, this is what the Lord God of Israel says. I brought you out of Egypt. I brought you out of the land of slavery. I rescued you from the hand of the Egyptians. I delivered you from the hand of all your oppressors. I drove them out before you and gave you their land. I said to you, I am the Lord your God. Do not worship the gods of the Amorites, these, these people in whose land you live, but you haven't listened to me. So through God's prophet, God is speaking to Israel, and he said, I delivered you, I asked you for devotion, I asked you for a commitment to keep your heart set on me, and rather than doing that, you left. Now, I know that we might have different impressions of who God is and the way he engages people, and I can't tell you exactly whether or not God was frustrated to the degree where he was pounding his fist on his throne and saying, you left me, or if God was like so many of us loving fathers are in this room, when our children are disobedient and rebellious that we don't break a little, maybe even fall to our knees and weep and wish and pray that our children would just return to this place of obedience and, and devotion. 
I would lean more in that direction, but I can't say for sure. What I do know this is God is beginning the process of restoring Israel at this moment. And as we look at the story of Gideon and the nation of Israel, I pray that we see ourselves in the midst of this. There's several things we're gonna identify about this man named Gideon, all of which I can personally relate to. And I'm sure some of you also will be able to. And in verse 11, we see that the angel of the Lord came. I'm gonna stop there. The angel of the Lord, this is the angel of the Lord. In other areas of scripture, we see there's an angel of the Lord. And most theologians would believe that the angel of the Lord is Jesus pre-incarnate before he ever uh, lived in the flesh. Jesus came uh, potentially as this, uh, the angel of the Lord. And, and I kind of feel like that has some credence. There's some uh, validity to that, especially when we look further down in the scripture. But whether it was the angel of the Lord or an angel of the Lord, and it was just an angel, as if you could say that, just an angel, this was as good as the voice of God speaking directly to Gideon. And we need to keep that in mind. These are words that God himself wanted Gideon to hear. And the angel of the Lord sat down onto the oak and Ophrah that belonged to Joash, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it or hide it from the enemy. So the first thing that we learn about Gideon is that he's fearful. See, for any of you that know about wheat threshing, maybe that's a hobby for some of you, no? Okay, so wheat threshing, you have a, a winnowing fork and you're out there on maybe a higher ground where there's like a, a breezeway and uh, wind is able to come through and you'll dig out some wheat, throw it up in the air, the wind comes through, takes the chaff away, the wheat separates, falls to the ground, you gather your, your grain, your fruit, and it's a little bit simpler to do your job. But Gideon finds himself in a hole in the ground. He's in a wine press. That's what a wine press is. It's a hole in the ground. No breeze coming through. Right? I imagine that Gideon is throwing the wheat up and it could just be falling right back down on top of where his wheat grain that he was gathering was. I, I imagine him being kind of frustrated. He's doing some mundane work, just kind of spinning his wheels, trying to do his job, but his job is not simple and he's hiding from the enemy. He's hiding from this oppressive reality that's in his life. And he's probably cranky. <laughs> The cool thing about this is, is this is right where God meets Gideon. And some of you may today be in the same type of place that Gideon is at. No breath of fresh air blowing through. Your job is difficult. Life is challenging right now. You are throwing wheat up and it is falling back down at your feet and you're saying, why do I have to do this? And right here where you are at, God wants to meet you too. Now, God didn't go to Gideon for no reason. God had a plan for Gideon, and we're going to see how that plan unfolds. In verse 12, it says, the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon and said, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. And we say, great. God's got his man. God's got the hero of the story. Gideon is about to rise up and, and go and conquer and deliver Israel out of the hands of the oppression that they found themselves in. That's not the case. It's not that simple. Gideon's got some hangups. Anybody in the room got some hangups? I got some hangups. From time to time, my hangups keep me from moving forward in the will that God has for my life and the plan that he has for me. And we see how Gideon has to process through some hangups 
so that he can move forward. And Gideon says, pardon me, my Lord. I just want to advise you guys, if you're in the middle of a conversation with God, it's probably best not to start that conversation by saying, pardon me, I have something to interject. And he begins to say, but, and if, but, but, if, and this is like, for me, this is the plight of my personality type. I, I say but and if all the time, because I'm measuring everything. I'm analyzing, well, what if from this angle it doesn't work out that way, and what if from that point of view I, I really can't see, and, and God's over here saying, rise up, mighty warrior, and, and Gideon's saying, just like I do so many times when God's trying to move me forward, I say, but if. The Lord is with us. Why has all this happened to us? He begins to doubt. Where are all his wonders that the ancestors told us about when they said, did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hand of the enemy. And the second thing we learn about Gideon is that he does lack faith. He's lacking faith. Now, I don't know that he's an atheist, because lots of times when we think of people who don't believe in God, we sometimes just kind of go towards that mind frame. Maybe he's an atheist, but we know that he was serving God to the land, the Baals, right? And so was his community and his family. So he wasn't an atheist. Maybe he was one of those Unitarians, right? Maybe, maybe he had a donkey and like the cart on the back with the little coexist bumper sticker, and he was like, all roads lead to the same place, brah. Don't worry about it. We got this. Look, man, you do you, I'll do me. If that was him or, or he was something else, whatever it was that he was, I don't know, but I do know this. Without a shadow of doubt, he was lost and deceived in this moment. And God's starting the process of building his faith. The funny thing is, is that there's an angel from God standing in front of him, and this angel isn't enough for Gideon. He's still doubting. What if an angel came to you? Everybody wants an angel to come to them and speak something declaratively. Just, would you just send an angel, God, and tell me where I'm supposed to go? And no, you get an angel, Gideon got an angel, and none of us believe. It's a faith issue. In verse 14, we see God's beginning to speak to Gideon's identity, and he's looking at Gideon, he's saying, Gideon, I know the way you view yourself, but I want to tell you about the Gideon that I see. So we're going to look at the Gideon that God sees. And I hope that in this time, you start to hear about the you that God sees rather than the you that you perceive yourself to be. The Lord turned to him and said, go in the strength that you have and save Israel out of Midian's hands. Am I not sending you? So in this church, he said, Sending, what is that? In church, we refer to that as the calling of God. So I believe that every single person that has professed Jesus as their Lord and Savior, that, that um, is living for Jesus, has a call on their lives to some degree. Whether it's in the context of the local church standing on a platform, that's not necessarily the case, but we are all given the ministry of reconciliation. That means that we're given the, the ministry or the task of helping get people connected to God. All of us are called to that. And as we see God calling Gideon to go and save a nation, I believe as well that God is calling all of us to rise up and go and save a nation. 
Now, I don't necessarily think that this nation that might come to mind first would be America per se. I'm not suggesting that God's saying, he's got a plan for America and he's calling all of you to, to rise. Well, maybe God wants to do something here in America. I believe there's revival in our future and it's probably already starting because we see many, many people coming to Jesus. But I know that the nation that we need to be focused on much is a nation of souls Get, get past the nationalistic boundaries and be thinking eternally, kingdom, souls. He wants to save a generation and he wants to use you to accomplish this work. In verse 15, Gideon replies, pardon me, my Lord. And he's back at it. But, 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 but how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh and I'm the least in my family. He said, God, you don't know me. I come from bad stock. You, you, you must not know my Uncle Eddie. He's up the road, 25 to life. I, I got a rap sheet from here to forever. Look, we are the people that people think about when they make a decision about why they don't want to come visit us where we live. We're the people. We're, we're the ones. He said, I, I, don't, I don't have what it takes to be what you're telling me, mighty warrior. I don't have that inside of me. He's struggling and what he's struggling with is the third thing that we learn about Gideon is insecurity. Gideon is insecure. God's saying, I've got something I want to accomplish in you and through you. And Gideon's saying, yeah, but what about all my inadequacy? What about all my imperfection? What about all my weaknesses? But God's still in the middle of this conversation with Gideon. And Gideon's got some more to learn. He's fearful, he's lacking faith, and he's insecure, and really that's a perfect storm for, for anyone to find themselves rendered useless by God. And the awesome thing about this is that God wants to deliver all of us from fear and doubt and insecurity, and he wants to set us on a firm foundation. And we're gonna see how he's bringing Gideon along for the ride, and in verse 16, the Lord answers Gideon, I'll be with you, Emmanuel. One of my favorite promises of God is God is with us. I'll tell you what, <laughs> that I gotta cling to. In the hardest of times, I gotta cling to that. He says, I'll be with you and you will strike down the enemy leaving none alive. So Gideon's, or excuse me, God's solution for Gideon's insecurity is God's presence. Okay, I'm going to say it again. God's solution for Gideon's insecurity is God's presence. God's solution for my and your insecurity is his presence. Lord, help us to learn to, to rest in your presence. And again, we're hung up on our shortcomings, but when we're in our that place of fear and doubt and insecurity and, and we're standing in the presence of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords and the creator of the universe. When we're standing in the presence of a loving father, man, there is no place more secure than that. So I do see God accomplishing something in Gideon through this process though, right? through this process, and he's not wanting Gideon to miss this, and right now he's rearranging the way that Gideon perceives himself to be. 
I believe that we understand our value a whole lot more when we think about the way that God views us rather than the way that the world and culture views us. Young people, if you're in this room, college-age students, and, and even adults, but look, it's really easy to allow culture and the world to shape the way that we perceive ourselves. And they set this standard for us, and it's all over the place. It's plastered on social media, it's on the TV, it's in movies, it's woven into the fabric of every aspect of culture. And what culture is saying is if you don't look like this, then you ain't with it. But God says, I have something for you. I'm calling you out of this place and into my glorious light. I'm calling you a mighty warrior. I will be with you. You should be full of courage and full of faith and full of security because I am who I am and, and even greater, you are who I say you are. And we are sons and daughters. And we've got to cling to that. But even with these promises, mighty warrior, I will be with you. Gideon is still struggling. And he says, if now I've found favor in your eyes, give me a sign that it's really you talking to me. And, and he asks for this sign and he says, okay, I'm gonna bring an offering. And, and the angel walks him through. He puts the offering on this altar and the angel consumes the offering. And Gideon says, oh my goodness, it's you, sovereign God. <laughs> I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face, but the Lord said to him, peace, do not be afraid. You're not going to die. Yes, I've given you a glimpse of my glory, but you are not going to die. And he says, so Gideon built an altar, which was for worship to the Lord there, and he called it Yahweh Shalom, which means the, the Lord is peace. And that same night, the Lord said to him, wow, God's making quick work of it. The same night. <laughs> The Lord said to him, tear down your father's altar to Baal and cut down the Asherah pole beside it. Then build a proper kind of altar to the Lord your God. So Gideon took 10 of his servants, his squad, his guys, and did as the Lord told him. But because he was afraid of his family and the townspeople, he did it at night rather than at the daytime. So Gideon is sent to his family first. Upon being called out by God, and God's speaking to him about his will for his life. The first place God sends him is to his family and his immediate community. The funny thing is, is Gideon sees God all up in this process. I mean, the angel just consumed the offering and, and God's speaking to him, yet he's still afraid. He's still afraid to go and actually do what God said. Isn't that so much like us? <laughs> Praise God that he's full of patience and, and grace for us to keep moving forward in the process. We just don't want to miss him in the process. So he's sent to his family, and as you read in chapter 6, you'll see that Gideon actually won his dad. He won his family to God by being faithful and obedient to the call that God had placed on his life. And he went into that household, and he tore down that altar to Baal. And he tore down that Asherah pole, and he built a new altar of worship to the living God. Now, I'm a student pastor. I work with NC Kids 5 to 12s as well. Um, and then we also have a you know, couple kids coordinators at, at our campuses. And I'm always having conversations with our impact small group leaders and our kids coordinators at the other campuses. And we're talking about what is it that God really is trying to do in the lives of these children? What is it that God is trying to do in the lives of these families? And 
we keep coming back to this place while we have approximately 40 hours a year, give or take, for us to invest in the lives of these kids from five years old and even younger, but to launch 12th grade, right? Parents have three to 4,000 hours on average per year, and we're saying, well, okay, we're gonna continue to, to prop these kids up and to encourage them and to teach them, but it is the parents' responsibility to disciple their children. It is the parents' responsibility to be Gideon and go into the house hole and tear down these altars to these other gods, these things that are distracting their children's hearts from the heart of the father and build a new altar, an altar of worship to the, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of Israel, our God. If you're a, a parent in this room on Father's Day, if you're a father, man, what is in your household that is allowing there to be division between the hearts of your children and the heart of God, tear that thing down and start talking about a cultural worship in your house. And listen, grandparents, if you're in this room right now and you say, well, I done did mine, I paid my dues, I would have to suggest otherwise. I would say that rather than being that guy or that gal that's constantly offering grandbabies the candy and saying, let's go watch the Pixar movie, I would challenge you to partner with your children to help raise up your grandchildren so that they wouldn't be like the nation of Israel who another generation rose up and didn't know what God had done of his goodness and his faithfulness, that you would help hand off your faith to your grandchildren so that your grandchildren would be a generation that will rise up like Joshua did and say, as for me and my house, we will serve God. And you would say, but it's challenging, Pastor Stephen. Parents are everywhere. I got my teenage son, daughter, who's got friends that, you know, they're kind of living a different lifestyle than the lifestyle that we've chosen. They, they present themselves differently. They have different standards. And you say, well, I, I kind of got to give and take. And maybe in some areas you do have to give and take, but you've got to determine what the standard that you're going to raise up in your home will be so that you don't get distracted. And I look at Gideon and I would say, well, maybe that's a, a, a distraction for you, or maybe it's a opposition for you to think about all the cultural, you know, things that are happening around your children that are vying for their hearts and their minds. But you know what? Gideon had some opposition that he had to stand against as well. See, God was calling him to go to war and, and, and to bring revival to the nation of Israel. And Gideon was faced with some opposition as well. All the nations, all the enemies surrounded Israel and Gideon as he's growing a little bit more confident, you know, he's, hey, okay, maybe I can do this, you know? And then, and then all of his enemies are on the horizon. He says, whoa, talk about opposition. We'll always have opposition when trying to live according to God's will. Let's see how God helps Gideon in the midst of this opposition. So the spirit of the Lord came on Gideon and Gideon blew a trumpet, summoning all his people, calling them to arms, and they went to meet the enemy. God wants him to go to war. He's faced with opposition. And what does Gideon do? Gideon does what so many of us do. He creates a safety net around him. He arranges all of the, the things that will make him secure. He arranges for people and for weapons and for provisions, all the things that he believes are necessary for his success. And God said, well, I got a different plan for you. And what God does is 
Instead of allowing Gideon to go to war with these thousands of men and all of these provisions, he said, I'm going to reduce everything that you have to 300 men. And those 300 men and you are going to go up and you are going to go against the enemy. And I'm going to give you the victory. And you know what the coolest thing about it is? I believe that God stripped away all of Gideon's provision, all of Gideon's safety net, all of his security, so that God could say, I am your provision. I am your security. I am the one who's going to deliver the, hand, the enemy into your hands. So that Gideon couldn't say that he was self-sufficient. And that was the fourth thing that really we learned about Gideon is that he was self-reliant or self-sufficient. And God's saying, I want you to depend on my sufficiency, not your portfolio, not your business model, not your, your strategies, not your plans. I want you to rely solely and completely on me. I have you. I'm going to keep you. And I'm going to send you up so that only I can get the glory for it. Because nobody will ever believe that you could accomplish the things that you just accomplished with 300 men. The Bible says that not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything as coming from us, but our sufficiency, it's from God. God brings victory to Gideon throughout this process. If you'll read the rest of chapter six, you'll see that. And I think God is bringing us into that same place of victory. Gideon's story is many of our stories. This is a story of redemption. This is a story of a person who is filled with doubt, filled with fear, hiding in a hole, insecure, inadequate, self-reliant, trying to make things happen on his own, trying to get the job done. Maybe he had pure motives, but he wasn't hearing from God. He was missing God. And God wants to bring us to a place where we are brought out of that hole, set on a firm foundation, filled up with courage and confidence, full of faith, completely secure in his sufficiency and not our own. So this is our story. And there's a couple things that I would probably encourage you to, to take with you as you walk out of this room today, having listened to this story. I'm gonna give you two things, very simple. One, remain in the process. We gotta remain in the process. We gotta run this race with endurance. Listen, so many times I've been in the midst of a fearful season or maybe even a season where there's some doubt that's crept in about what God can actually accomplish in me and through me, maybe a little insecure, maybe even a little self-reliant. And in those moments, that's where I'm most tempted to quit. But we can't quit. God's got something for you. He wants to do something in you. And he wants to accomplish great things through you. I think about Jesus. He was in the Garden of Gethsemane not long before he was getting ready to go on that cross. It was a big deal. Jesus, he knew what the, the, the reason he needed to go on the cross was so important. It was by his sacrifice that the sin of all men would be forgiven. It was through his blood that we would be restored to right relationship with God, that we would be healed and set free, that we would be born again. It was a big deal. And Jesus, in his perfection, all God gets still in his humanity in the garden, pouring blood from the pores of his face, sweating, saying, 
God, Father, if you would take this from me, if you would just allow this cup to pass, do I have to drink from this cup? Yeah, he said, not my will be done, but your will be done. He said, I'm willing to remain in the process. I know the cost. I know what is required of me, but I also know the benefit. I know that I'm called, and I know what it's gonna do in the lives of countless people thereafter, and I know that it's honor and glory unto the Father, so I'm gonna remain in the process, and we've got to remain in the process as well as believers, as disciples of Jesus. The second thing, don't miss it. Listen, man, you're in the middle of it, and it's like, ah, trying to make things work trying to get yourself encouraged and, yeah, I can do this, Woo! Kind of doing some good self-talk and maybe there's room for that, but you know what? In the middle of trying to prop yourself up, sometimes we miss God. We miss what God's trying to do and we work and work and work at being better people and we work at being better ministers and we work at being better parents and better, better employees. And in the middle of our work and our labor, we miss all the things that God is trying to, to set us free from. We miss God interacting with us and teaching us to be faith-filled faith and to be confident in what he's promised. We miss him speaking to us about our identity and our security. We have got to get to a place where we refuse to miss what God is doing. Don't miss it. And I don't want to miss Jesus right now. Let's pray. Lord God, we just thank you for who you are and for who you've called us to be. You've given us an identity that is unparalleled to any other identity that it could ever try to be pressed onto us, God. And we reject all other identities right now in the name of Jesus. We declare that we are sons and daughters, and that we have been called out for a purpose. We have been called out as your church and you said that the gates of hell would not prevail against us. No enemy would ever stand against us because you are for us, God. So right now as the church, we repent from our fear. We repent from our, our doubt, God. We repent from our insecurity and our self-sufficiency, God. And we just, we just turn our hearts to you, God. And we, we ask that you make our hearts reliant upon you and your grace and your mercy and your love that casts out all fear. God, we want to be reliant upon you in every area of our lives. Church, just ask God for that now. Give me a greater need for you, God, that I can see it and understand it and, and live it. I want to need you. And sometimes, God, I need you to remind me of how much I need you. Father, we thank you for what you're doing in this church right now. Look, there's a group of people that are in this room that might be confused by some of the language, talking about a father in heaven, talking about Jesus going on a cross to, to die for your sins. Maybe you're confused by the idea of what it's like to, to have a heavenly father and you to be a kingdom son or a kingdom daughter. That means a son or daughter of, of God himself. If that's foreign to you, that's okay. But God wants to affirm you right now. He has a desire to call you out of the place that you are. Whether it's a place of fear or doubt 
or insecurity or self-sufficiency or whatever it is that you find yourself in the midst of right now, God has a desire to pull you out of that place and he's touching you right now. He's touching your heart right now and he's speaking something to you. Maybe he's saying, mighty warrior, I've got a plan for you, a purpose for you. Maybe he's saying, son or daughter, I, I wanna heal you. I wanna deliver you. I know for certain he wants to forgive you of your sins and he wants to bring you into right relationship with him. He wants to bring you into your, his household as a family member of God. And if you are in this room right now and you have a desire for that, to be a son or daughter, and you know that there's things inside of you that have been off, and you wanna lay all that down right now at the feet of Jesus and say, yes, Lord, I need you. Then I want you to throw your hand up really high so I can see you. I wanna pray for you. I see you guys in the back. I see you over here. I see you over here. Bless them, Lord. Here and here. Bless them, Lord. Is there anyone else in this room that has the courage to say, yes, I need you. God, I see you back here. I see you back there. I know your hands are going up and maybe some of your hands haven't gone up yet, but you're agreeing with this right now. You're saying, yes, that's me. I want you to pray this prayer with me. Just agree in your hearts and church, pray for these people as God is ready to capture their hearts and bring them to a new place of freedom and new life. Agree, Lord Jesus, I come before you right now, broken, even dysfunctional, imperfect. I've got things inside of me that are outside of your perfect will for my life. And God, I just want to get in this process with you. I acknowledge you, Jesus, that you are the reason that I can have forgiveness for my rebellion, for my sin, for my fear, my insecurity, my doubt, my self-sufficiency. You, Jesus, are the reason that I have forgiveness from those things. And I just lay it all down at your feet right now. Jesus, take all of this from me and breathe in me, your Holy Spirit, a new life that I can live this life, not in the flesh, but by faith in you, Jesus. You gave your life for me and you love me first and I wanna love you in return and I thank you for making me new today. And everybody that agreed, say amen and amen. Come on, let's give it up for those people that prayed that prayer right now. If you just made that decision, let me be the first to say congratulations. The decision to follow Christ is just the beginning of your relationship with God. So we'd love to help you with your next steps. If you'll go to northwood.tv connect and fill out the online information card, our lead pastor, Van DeCote, wants to send you a letter that tells you some more steps to take that'll help you maintain your new relationship with God. We're one church in multiple locations. We have a campus in Gulfport, Wiggins, and in Long Beach, Mississippi. If you live in one of these areas, we'd love to see you at one of our services. You can visit our website, northwood.tv, for service times and locations. If you'd like to give to this ministry, you can do that online as well. Just go to northwood.tv give or simply text the amount you'd like to give to 228-215-3421. Again, that's 228-215-3421. Standard data rates and text charges may apply. Thanks again for joining us today. We'll see you next time.